They also have a avocado peeling and pitting robot, which is huge deal, right? Repetitive tasks and potentially dangerous tasks. Um, it's called the Autocado <laughs> uh, because it's, yeah, it really, it really is. They have a tortilla making bot called Chippy who does work in one store in Southern California and Chippy was programmed to make tortilla chips like a human. Welcome to Whisking It All with your host, Angela Spazito, co-founder of Whisk.ai, a food and beverage intelligence platform. We're going to be interviewing hospitality professionals around the world to really understand how they do what they do. Welcome to another episode of Whisking It All. We are here today with Kristen Hawley, the founder of Expedite, a newsletter about restaurant tech and the future of hospitality. Kristen, thank you for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, quick background, I think, is always warranted. Um, I don't want to do it injustice, but obviously, um, what from what I've seen online and from what I've heard, uh, you know, a little quick background. You've been in the industry or been doing this for, for over a decade, uh, really kind of mm-hmm. pragmatic coverage and sharp you know, analysis of, of tech and uh, the relationship with, I guess, restaurants. Um, from what I've mm-hmm. seen, your writing has appeared in Insider, Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, Eater, uh, and many more um, uh, publications, mm-hmm. uh, as well as being on stage as a moderator, uh, interview and presenter, at National Restaurant Show, CES, Smart Kitchen Summit. Um, I got my notes here, the Culinary Institute of America, Institute of Culinary Education, et cetera, et cetera. So you're no stranger to the restaurant and tech space. And that's why I'm so excited to have you here. But I'd love to, you know, have your version of what you do. So so it'll probably do yeah. it more justice. I don't know. That sounds pretty impressive. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've been covering the restaurant technology industry and the way that restaurants have changed uh, for the last 10 years, the, re- the way that restaurants have changed because of because of technology Um, and I started writing about this very particular intersection when I moved from New York to San Francisco and as a person who loved restaurants uh, you know third place tiny apartments um, I just noticed that restaurant I guess what I'd call restaurant culture was different in San Francisco than it was in New York and that was largely because in 2009 2010 2011 the tech scene scene industry in San Francisco was uh, blowing yeah. up. You know, it was it was kind of taking over a lot of st- a lot of a lot of things, a lot of restaurants and and culture, and there's a ton of technology happening. And the way that people were interacting with restaurants was different, and the expectations were different, and it was largely because of tech. Mm. Um, and restaurants and hospitality traditionally slow on the uptake of new technology for many reasons, um, but it really felt like this inevitable shift that was coming. And I found there was a lot of, I guess, almost miscommunication between tech companies and restaurants about how they wanted to grow and how they wanted to evolve in like this brave new world. And um, I thought, I love that you said pragmatic coverage because that's what I try to do. I think uh, you need it needs to be, I mean, we're talking about food, right? Like it needs to be, understandable and accessible. Um, it's something that everybody needs and requires and it's changing. So when you're applying tech principles to an industry that is as old as, I mean, you know, yeah. uh, it, a lot can get lost. So yeah, so I, I believe that there's a real opportunity still 
10 years later for just really honest um, and insightful coverage of who's shaping the future of hospitality. Beautiful. It's funny when you mentioned you were talking about San Francisco, you know, 10 plus years ago, uh, I had a good friend that lived there. So I used to go visit quite a bit. And I remember I was like, oh, I want to move here. Like this is like maybe a 10, 12 years mm-hmm. ago. And it's funny that you kind of mentioned the, the restaurant scene was different because they're so, I guess, open to tech and trying things and you know things always get experimented there whether it be things like uber lyft or, or anything else and and mm-hmm. it just triggered a memory that this was more than a decade ago and it was like uh i can't remember the place i want to say it was either blue bottle coffee or something else but you can order coffee ahead of time and pick up right and it was like yeah this is yeah. like 12 years ago so it's like i didn't even think about it but i was putting the dots together and i'm like it's true it's 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 a different it's like U.S. and then San Francisco was its own kind of like separate scene almost. It was, it's just like the things that you take for granted now, it, like, it, like when Uber started here, it was a bunch of town cars, right? right. And so it, um, yeah, it was, just, it, it's changed rapidly. It's changed rapidly. And, and with that, like social change has come really different expectations mm-hmm. and, you know, restaurant owners who've been running their businesses for decades are needing to understand and catch up with, with what's happening in technology. Right. And so getting, getting to, to hear a bit about Expedite, right? So you, you've been at the forefront of mm-hmm. the, the restaurant tech space with Expedite. So my initial question is kind of what inspired you to start this newsletter in the first place? And then like, how's it evolved since yeah. its inception? Yeah, well, um, my first newsletter, uh, I started in 2013 and I, um, it was like, I I think I've deleted it off the internet. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot of, um, casual observations and, and information about what was happening less in the industry, like less industry coverage. Like DoorDash was like a startup, you know, when I started a real startup with like, you know, maybe some seed funding that first iteration of the newsletter was really just chronicling like. I mean, I think I like highlighted chefs on Twitter. I think we talked about Instagram. I don't know. Like real, real basic stuff. Um, And the impetus for the newsletter was this is such a niche thing. And I like, am I a weirdo? Am I the only one that cares about (laughs) this? Uh, And so my, my now husband um, encouraged me to start a newsletter. He works in technology and he noticed a lot of people in his orbit writing newsletters mm. at this time over 10 years ago. Uh, and so I just asked a couple of friends like, Hey, if I put this thing together, that's about restaurants and technology, I think it was about chefs and technology at the time. That's awesome. Um, specifically like cooking. Yeah. Uh, would you read it? And like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, thankfully I had a couple of friends that worked in the business, uh, in tech adjacent to hospitality mm. and they got it in front of the right people the right people. They got in front of some like executives at open table and other places that were interested in commentary about the business that they were working in. Um, and yeah, I sold that newsletter in 2016 uh, to a company called Skift, B2B media company. They joined them as part of the acquisition mm. uh, and led their restaurant industry coverage for three years. And it was wonderful until they decided in 2019 that they were not going to cover restaurants anymore. Uh, no. So uh, yeah, that was a bummer. Um, and the timing was <laughs> unfortunate for them, I would say. But uh, so I, the way that that was structured meant that I had to leave the old newsletter with them. Okay. Um, and I started exporting in the fall of 2019 over started over at zero uh which was a real challenge but i believed that my work was unfinished and i believed that we were really in a moment 
in restaurant technology where it was like the industry had grown up. The industry was like legit. There were IPOs. There was a lot of money flowing into it. There was a lot of interest. Um, and I could not have been more right because in 2020, suddenly everybody who has ever eaten at a restaurant was extremely interested in how they worked and their business model and how they could support them during the earliest and scariest days of COVID. So um, Expedite, you know, while it has been in my brain for a really long time, it was really formed during, I would say, like the worst early pandemic wow. days when um, there was a need for real timely information about how the industry was changing and how tech was was helping at that point uh, and potentially hurting. Right. Uh, there, you know, there was it wasn't all good news. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like it, when you have people who are like you consider smart like educated business people who are coming to you saying like restaurants have terrible margins and they're terrible businesses. And how do they, like, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Have you not been paying attention? Yeah. Um, have you never talked to anybody who's run a restaurant? I think that increased consumer and diner awareness mm. and how restaurants work and how technology helps them and potentially hurts them is only, is, 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 is has only been a benefit for the business. And that's, kind of what's been keeping me going for the last three years. I love that. That makes a ton of sense. And I'd love to maybe shed a bit of light on, on the, the the founder side of it just real quick. Like, you know, it's not easy to start something from scratch and you've done it twice, but to start something no. from scratch and then get it acquired, I'd love to maybe just touch on that because we, we also have some different restaurant tech founders on the podcast and it's always nice to hear like the entrepreneurial journey. So I'd love to hear it quickly, like mm. maybe what did that look like, right? Building something from nothing, right? Really gratifying, yeah. but then getting acquired. I'd love to hear yeah. about that. How was that? How was it working at this acquirer? And, and what did that process look like? Yeah. I call myself a reluctant entrepreneur. Because <laughs> um, I sort of fell into it as a freelance writer. Um, but freelance writers are entrepreneurs, right. especially now when much of your image depends on um, what you're doing on your own. Right. Uh, so what that looked like was... Um, I had a friend in common with the CEO of this media company called Skift, which covers the travel business in a way that was really in line with the, the way that I cover restaurants, mm. like consumer focus. Why do people care? How does this news about an industry show up every day for the average person? Um, and so we had a couple conversations and I was um, just extremely open to next steps. I, I came up in magazine journalism. I worked in the big publishing houses in New York before I came to San Francisco after the 2008 crash mm. when everyone in magazines lost their job, um, including me. <laughs> uh, and so going back to a media company was like, it was a very easy decision right. because I loved having colleagues. I loved having editors. I loved having fellow creatives. I loved having a marketing and a sales team, which I do not have right now, uh, which is the part of the um, downside of being a, a solo, solo printer. Right. Um, but it was, yeah, you know, I mean, it was an exit. I, they, they paid me for the newsletter and then they brought me on full time. Uh, I was extremely proud of it and still am. And it was just, it was a real pleasure to help build out coverage that was, um, you know, tangential, but very complimentary mm. to their uh, travel industry. That's really cool. And any, any lessons learned that you can share? Because I was like trying to share nuggets of information in terms of, you know, other founders listing or just other business owners and Mm -hmm. Any maybe lessons that looking back, you're like, oh, I would have done X or Y differently. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, like I said, I had to leave the newsletter on the table when I left um, and it wasn't my decision. Uh, um, and I think I should have done some more upfront negotiations about what was mine and what mm -hmm. was theirs. 
Uh, and you know, like, it, it's not like I'm, I'm doing the exact same thing I was doing when I joined the company. So it's not, it's not like it was a non-compete, but you know, I created a lot of things for them that live with them. Mm. And that is a challenge when you are considered continuing to build your brand, uh, again, like solo. Um, and that is just youth and naivete, I guess, on my part. And also, it just, you know, it, I think it was the right decision for me at the time. I absolutely don't regret it. The only thing I would change, I think, was being able to take more when we parted. That makes sense. But either way, I think, you know, congratulations is not easy to build something out of nothing and then to create so much value that somebody else wants to buy it. Just in that, I think there's a lot of at least for me, I, when I think about it, a lot of satisfaction of, of just, you know. Yeah, I, I, I remind myself of this <laughs> <laughs> all the time, all the time. Freelance journalism can be a lonely endeavor, especially when you're writing a newsletter <laughs> uh, in your office by yourself. And uh, I have created things of value that are valuable to others. And that is a huge deal. That's awesome. A huge deal. And it was great. It was That's great. awesome. And then so fast forward. No I love that. And then fa fast forward, then you're like, okay, cool. I'm out of here, but I think I want to continue doing this. So like, what did, what did that look like? And I'd love to, you know, transition to now, what you're doing today, basically. Yeah. Well, like I said, it just, it felt like it was unfinished. Mm. I had a lot of support from readers that came with me in the beginning when I joined the company. I had a lot of support from like readers that I gained while I was at the company. Um, you know, there were company people at the company itself who were extremely supportive and have continued to be extremely supportive of my endeavor awesome. into, you know, covering what I believe is, yeah, yeah, it's, it's nice. I think that I took some time off and I just like, in the time I took off, I think like DoorDash IPO'd and Resi was acquired. Like, there was a couple of like really big Miles things that happened that I missed. <laughs> yeah. And, it, <laughs> and that was hard. That is hard as, as like a news, a news right, hound. Right, like, right. This industry that I've covered since its infancy, and I remember being in conference rooms with DoorDash executives, like, we are the next big thing. We are bullish on our ability to scale and grow. And you're kind of like, okay, yeah. You know, you hear it all the time. Right. They were right. And to see that through, you know, I missed getting to cover wow. it. So that was, that was a bummer. I love explaining complex topics to a general audience. It's my favorite thing. So uh, there's nothing more complex than how tech works. Right. And uh, it's, it's, a nice little niche to have found myself in. It's funny because because that's actually one of the questions I wanted I wanted to ask. Is the perfect segue. It's how do you, you know, especially with these major publications, how do you approach writing about a niche topic, right? But to a broad audience, mm -hmm. right? Like that in itself sounds pretty challenging. I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that it comes down to why should I care? Mm. And COVID during during like the worst days of COVID and lockdowns and you know the. PPP and restaurant relief funds and legislation and lobbying mm. and all of that, um, people did care. Uh, I think the sell now is a little bit harder. Like a lot of, you know, I, oh God, I don't think I've written about or been asked about or been interviewed about a topic more than QR codes. <laughs> and it still comes up. People hate them. Hate them. Most restaurants aren't a super fan either, but the ones that have continued using them do so for a reason, right? right? And it's like, well, why? Right. Um, so that's kind of how I approach that's it. That's super interesting. Why should I care? How does it affect me? And sometimes it, it is explaining a restaurant's position. Mm to a readership. Like, you know why they use QR codes? Because they're having trouble finding and retaining staff 
why are they having trouble finding and retaining staff? Because they're not able to charge what they should for dinner mm. because they're in a competitive environment. Inflation and yeah, everything. Yeah. Um, so being able to tie those stories together and be like, like, uh, yeah, you know what? You hate using your phone. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, ask for a paper menu. I'm sure it'll get exactly. Away. That's super interesting, and it it's funny because one thing we noticed. I mean, COVID for, for, for restaurants was horrible. For us, it was pretty tough, too, because <laughs> we all were tied to the restaurant, you know, we're a subscription service for mm-hmm. restaurants. So, like, you know, it's like 80% of your clients are like, we're going to pause our subscription. So that's pretty tough for us, too. Uh, but the one yeah. kind of caveat that came from it that helped, because we do, like, a lot of back-of-house stuff, like inventory management and recipe costing, one if there's any, there's not many, but one slight positive that came of COVID is a lot of restaurants became a lot more educated and aware of like the importance of like cost control. And, you know, it's not as sexy as, you know, typically people think more revenue and sales and marketing. It's always a bit harder Mm -hmm. to pitch cost savings. But I think during COVID, Mm -hmm. people really had more time and, you know, restaurateurs kind of started taking that stuff seriously. So that was one nugget that Mm -hmm. was kind of positive is like when we got back into it post-COVID, there wasn't as much like education. It was like, yeah, of course I need to know my cost supplier, you know, tomatoes are going up uh, and this is going yeah. like, everyone was like yeah. bought in already. So it kind of, that was the one positive, but it, but it's interesting to see how, like, like you said, a topic that's maybe people don't think about. And then example, like, Oh, they're raising prices. This restaurant's expensive. It's like, they're not doing it to try to gouge you. They're doing it because labor's going up. Supplies mm-hmm. are going up. Like they, they need to make, you know, yeah, whatever margins they can, which is generally in a restaurant's not too high to begin with. Right. Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, I'm sure that the, like the the real back of house tech companies would love if I could make like inventory management applicable to like the Bon Appetit readership. I <laughs> yeah, that, that's like, a pretty dry topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but uh, there's a place for this. Yeah, story. yeah, that's funny. It's funny. We even tell people in the early days when I was like, you know, I found a whistle when I started. I think it was 2015-ish or end of 2014. But when I started it, uh, that was one of the pitches. It was, and it still is to a certain point in these days. Like, listen, we're never going to make inventory fun inventory sucks i'm not gonna lie to you and pretend it's gonna be fun mm-hmm. i'm just gonna make it less sucky i'm gonna make it less bad for you and that was kind of the pitch but it's true it's a yeah. very like dry topic like recipe costing but it's um you know it was a quick tangent but it was it was actually one of the reasons i found the whisk was uh, this is just the personal side but i love restaurateurs as like entrepreneurs as risk mm-hmm. takers as their passion for like guest experience and hospitality so that you yeah. know architecture design so there's so many things i love but what i realized and this is where the passion started was like they get into the business because of the passion of hospitality and guest experience and all this stuff but then they don't realize that there's all these really dull boring but super important things like costing and and it's like super dry and excel Mm -hmm. and like but it's like so crucial so there's this kind of juxtaposition of like man it's not why i got into it but i need to do it yeah it's like can we help them with that you know yeah. Did you work in restaurants? Yeah, I worked in restaurants and then I, I started uh, before Whisk. Actually, I had another tech company, but it was more related to um, nightclubs. So it was kind of like, but early, early days. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was basically trying to digitize pen and paper for nightclubs. So it was like, you go to ah, a nightclub, right. are you on the list? Do you have a table, whatever. But it was mm-hmm. interesting challenges that we faced because the tech was like pretty good, whatever. But challenges we faced were just the nuances of nightlife that you can't really speak about, but like, the doorman will look at your appearances if you're too many men and not too many yeah. women, they won't let you in. There's like, so, so yeah. it wasn't so cut and drive. Like here's the tag. It was like, yeah. there's a lot of nuances. So, uh, but then anyways, that led to eventually finding a bigger problem, which was 
whisk and and that's where that came from yeah i was i'm asking because i think there's like this new newer generation of restaurant technology startups and companies that are successful that have been built by people with really any hospitality mm. experience um you know like a chef creating right. a tool that helps chefs right. so that's really exciting that's really exciting yeah. to me and and um in the beginning of my coverage that was less that was happening less frequently mm. more it was more like opportunities for disruption and opportunities to make money right. and opportunities to scale because everybody eats right. or whatever it right. is i put that in air quotes because like how many times have you heard right. that in a pitch um, so I think that that is what is most exciting for me right now is the prevalence of technology, good technology that's built by teams of people that understand right. yeah. the restaurant and hospitality business. Yeah. That's where the opportunity is. I love is. that. Yeah. And I think it's so important because it's like, you can't fake feeling the pain when you feel the pain, you really understand your customer well, which I think helps with like, you know, product market fit and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, it's mm -hmm. such a key, even if I think about our staff, that's one thing I don't know if it's been super purposeful in the beginning, but I realized like we were talking about this the other week as a team, but like, we're like, oh wait, this sales rep actually, yeah, she was a manager. And oh wait, this other sales rep actually used to work in the restaurant. And we realized like a good amount of our staff, mm -hmm. our, this support person, our success, we like a good chunk of it is, uh, came from the restaurant industry, which I think also helps because they can communicate better with restaurant, you know, operators just kind of coming from that industry. Yeah. So it's been, it's been interesting. You should market it. Yeah, that. I think so. You, you just got my, some juices flowing. I'm like, oh, it's actually pretty. That's awesome. And so obviously you've seen a lot of things over the last decade. Um, you know, I always joke around that mm -hmm. like, this is like super high level. I know there's a million and one apps now, but I always joke around like the coolest thing that happened was kind of like open table, right? It was like, wow, reservations, cool. After that, it was like digitizing POSs or like cloud POSs. And then after that, it was like, now there's a sudden boom. But I'd love to hear from your point of view, what are some tech and this might be a loaded question but i'd love to hear if you can maybe highlight a few technologies but that that kind of stand out if you mm -hmm. think of the last 10 years like just like some things that like hey this was amazing that are robotics whatever it may be but things that stood out to you yeah what is most interesting to me if you like look back i think obviously resi's entry into the market was a huge deal mm -hmm. and they came at a time where there were some other competitors trying to challenge open table but like to completely rethink the way that the model, right? The model for, well, it was, originally it was a different model for consumers, but it, it then changed um, into just reservations, but, um, and, and talked also to some extent, just challenging the transaction of a restaurant reservation with new technology. Mm -hmm. I think the stories like that are really interesting to me. Um, I think that, um, obviously third-party delivery, what's happened with DoorDash, love it, hate it, whatever, yep. has fundamentally changed the business. Um, and I, we're just, we're in the early days of, of seeing, and, and DoorDash, will I think on their earnings, they said, they were like, we are in like early innings. And they've been saying this for years. And it's true of, of e-commerce and online commerce and online local commerce. The stories that I love are the ones that can show technology really changing the trajectory mm. of a business. Um, like DoorDash, you know, plenty of people hate hate them for, for what they did. I'm putting that in air quotes too. During COVID, they have a robust network. They helped a lot of businesses. They have a lot of money. They've given a lot of money to businesses. Mm. Um, they've made new opportunities in the restaurant industry for people. Um, and that I'm, I'm interested to see how things like that evolve. Um, I don't know. Does that answer your yeah, question? Yeah. Like, I, I think I'm very pro tech and pro 
progress, but I'm also a storyteller and I um, am not like, I don't, I don't see the future. I can tell you what I think is going to happen. Yeah. And I, but what, what's interesting to me is when big changes happen because of technology. Yeah. And I think that there are forces that, um, you know, like obviously a big tech company that needs to turn a profit for its shareholders has their own interests, right. but there are so many people working in hospitality to preserve restaurants and hospitality that it's like, and watching those forces balance and watching the balance over the last three years has been really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Cause when I think about this space, it's like, obviously there's a lot of different apps and tech and, and whatnot, but I almost think of them in big chunks and like you said, open table, right. Or just reservation in general was like a big thing. And then digital POS. Mm -hmm. And then to your point, third party deliveries is another big one. So sometimes I just wonder what would be the next, let's say big one. Like there's a lot of mini ones, like don't get me wrong, scheduling, even what we do, yeah. cost of goods sold, like they're important, yeah. but I'm wondering what's the next one that you maybe see coming if you had to throw throw a prediction. Uh, it's, uh, it's hiring, training, retention. Mm. Um, uh, this kind of technology that helps employees, employers connect with staff. Um, I think that there's like, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there just given the turnover in the business. Right. Um, you did, you mentioned robotics. I've traditionally stayed away from covering. There's a lot of noise. Robotics a lot of noise. Yeah. I know I found it a bit overblown, but what I, what I am extremely interested in are, is, you know, forays from like Chipotle and White Castle and Sweetgreen uh, into robotic, they call it cobotics, hmm. um, which would mean robots that help people. Uh, which is always that's like that's always the headline in the restaurant and hospitality business. Like we are not. Like, We're gonna replace you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though, like, if you, have you seen the videos of what Chipotle is doing and Sweetgreens doing? Like, they are basically replacing. That's crazy. Yeah. Human labor to some extent, um, but uh, I think that that I mean that's obvious. That's a huge one, and that what that means for fast casual and fast and quick service restaurants is pretty remarkable and what that means for labor in those businesses is pretty remarkable right. because those are you, you could call those unskilled jobs right. i'm doing air quotes again for the third time <laughs> uh, but um what how that changes entry-level work in restaurants and hospitality is going to be something that's very important to watch and i know a lot of people are thinking about too right. and i know the restaurants are thinking about that they're saying like oh we can train on hospitality instead of training on like a deep fryer and i think that's great right. so um that's for the next big one yes that's obviously it's, yeah it's pretty clear that that's, that's probably it that's what it yeah is. no it's a, it's an interesting one because it's like i guess two things one is like what things that we don't know that we don't know that will kind of come up and it's like you know every time there's a big tech you know revolution you know at first there's jobs that are taken over but then eventually there's jobs that are created that we don't know so mm -hmm. it's hard for me to give an example because i can't i don't know what i don't know so it's hard to just like make up a job yeah. but there's going to be jobs that come up that probably but for people listening just to you know shed some light can you explain because maybe they're hearing oh cool robotics oh cool chipotle but maybe they're not as familiar can you just mm -hmm. kind of briefly help sure. them visualize what's going yeah. on at chipotle um, or, or switch so chipotle has a couple yeah, so Petroli has a couple initiatives. Uh, the one that is most um, top of mind is they uh, have an investment arm of their company, and they invested in a company last year called Hyphen, which is a digital make line. A make line is that line at Chipotle that you see either in the front in the store if you're if you're uh, inside, or it, uh, there's another one in the back that does digital and um, delivery and pickup orders. Okay. Um, so it works under the counter. Okay. Uh, this is not in a restaurant yet. They're testing okay. it. Um, it works under the counter to make burrito bowls um, 
and yeah, both. And I think something, some stat like 65%, I think of digital Chipotle orders contain a salad or a bowl and they can be made ostensibly by this, this under the counter. There's a video of this, um, line. And then it like the bowl, it like, goes through and gets all the oh, stuff wow. and then it pops up and a, and a person puts a, a, a person, a human employee puts a lid on it and can put it in the bag wow. and they supplement it with what they're building on the top. The things that the robots can't do folding burritos kids meals, quesadillas, stuff like that. Um, they also have a avocado peeling and pitting robot, which is a huge deal, right? Repetitive tasks and potentially dangerous tasks. Right. Um, it's called the Autocado. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> uh, because it's, yeah, it really, it really is. They have a tortilla making bot called Chippy who does work in one store in Southern California. And Chippy was programmed to make tortilla chips like a human. That is, they are imperfect uh, and seasoned differently. So like they, you know, didn't want to make them all uniform right. they trained the bot to make them so uh, imperfect imperfect chips wow. so that's that initiative sweet green has a salad making and, and well notably about chipotle those all live in the kitchen they are not visible to guests i think they've said um their executive has said that those will always live in that's the kitchen interesting. um sweet green on the other hand is building restaurants around its salad producing robots that are huge and you should look up photos of this too because it's, it's very pretty. Um, there's one store now, there's another coming and then up to 14 next year, we'll have these robot robotic salad dispensers essentially, wow. um, that help human employees. I think they can make 50% more 400 to 500 salads an hour, uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of salad. Um, and they are designing new sweet greens around these robots. Um, one, because they help with labor and costs and throughput and like how much they're producing and two, cause they, they are really impressive looking. So, um, yeah, same thing, like robots that help people, some are in the kitchen, some are front and center. Um, that's super interesting. That's what's going on. Yeah. We, we, fast casual. Yeah. That's yeah, super interesting. We, we had, um, the founder of, um, tiny mile on the show, Ignacio. So Ignacio shout out. Um, and they're doing something interesting. I mean, I know there's a lot of different robotic companies, but they're doing last mile delivery specifically in Miami. So they're like in mm -hmm. Brickle. I think they have like a mm -hmm. hundred plus robots. And it's at first I was like, yeah, eh, robot. like, but then once he kind of started walking me through it's pretty interesting of, of, you know, really focused on a, on a, core area so like a downtown core the idea of like maybe you don't need the driver labor right and then things are too expensive so yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on like what something it doesn't have to be specifically tiny mile but the idea of that last mile delivery yeah. in the restaurant space like what do you think about that um well i think there are certain circumstances for which it makes a lot of sense to use robotics college campuses i know mm. they've been really successful uh cities less successful people don't people are like get out of the bike lane get off the sidewalk <laughs> what, are you doing? Um, what i do find very interesting and i i moderated a panel about this a couple of weeks ago but yeah. uh it was is the push for like e-bikes and other forms of micro mobility in restaurant delivery interesting so like fewer cars in like ur urban settings um more bikes more e-bikes more battery powered vehicles more like small three-wheel whatever it is um because of how delivery can then be better woven into like urban Interesting. Life, instead of a car pulling over and blocking the bike lane or bike blocking the bus lane or um or like i live in san francisco on valencia street they just put a bike lane down the middle of the road uh and you can no longer they, they had to get rid of a bunch of parking spots on the street okay. which i support as a cyclist <laughs> um so that that delivery drivers had a place to pull over and pick up 
uh, food. But what the effect of that is that in an extremely commercial corridor with a lot of restaurants and a lot of people in a busy city, like no one can find parking. And, you know, when you say like, don't drive, take an Uber, whatever, like doesn't matter. You can't find parking. You're not going to eat the restaurant. Uh, Restaurants are saying that they're, um, reservations are being canceled at the last second because people literally can't wow. find a place to put their car. Like, so uh, finding better ways to accommodate delivery, which is not going right. away, and delivery drivers in cities, whether that's robotics or that's e-bikes, you know, training a, a workforce on e-bikes and e-bike safety or right. whatever right. it is, I think that's really that's um, more interesting to me than the sidewalk robots. Yeah, that, that is, no, but that is interesting, yeah. and I'd love to hear what are your thoughts if, if if you have any on. So you know, that's a bit on the QSR side and the fast casual, which is obviously super interesting. Where do you maybe see the tech, or what have you seen? You know, you mentioned Chipotle and, and Sweet Bean. Have you seen mm-hmm. any interesting kind of tech on the full service side? Any kind of that stands out? You know, they've been. I mean, there's been some tries at serving robots that didn't really take off. Um, they're more of a novelty. Oh, uh, you mean like the, the think, robots that like go to the tables kind of thing? It's in full service. I think there was like a like a minute where it was like, oh, this is like, could this help us? And then it was like, wait, no, this is this is not what mm-hmm. we need. Um, so I think any kind of automation that you see there would be back of house, not necessarily robotics, but it could be eventually like food prep, you know, if, if the, if something like the avocado is (laughs) eventually (laughs) small enough and affordable enough, I know, I know, right. Um, just anything that helps with food prep. So repetitive tests, dangerous tests again, or like, you know, um, there are plenty of uh, AI and smart services that can help with like actual food prep and, yeah. and the like forecasting the ingredients and measuring and, and and well yeah forecasting and then actually like creating right. dishes and stuff so makes sense. um so yeah and i'd love to hear mm-hmm. just quickly you know i know i know running on time so real quick as a speaker as a presenter you know when you go to these industry events i'd love to just hear your your, mm-hmm. your take on like what what do you love most about you know engaging with the community in person because you you know you're typically doing a lot of newsletter stuff behind the scenes mm-hmm. but yeah. then on the flip side oh it's so good in person so yeah i'd love to hear yeah. about that it is always a delight to talk to the people that are thinking about the future of hospitality and restaurants because there is so much heart in the business in a way even in the biggest trade shows like you go to the nra show national restaurant association show in chicago it's huge it takes over the whole town like (laughs) trade show floor smacks you in the face right like it is it is it is a trade show um and the people there just care so deeply it's i i love it I love it. That's awesome. Uh, and 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 that one in particular is interesting because it's open to the public and it's quite affordable to come. And so people who like just like restaurants show up and walk around and uh, that's like what like what other industry trade show can appeal to just like an on the street person? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah like, that's true. There's just this like real like level of real real realism and like it, it's it's that's cool. awesome. It's awesome. And so I really uh, love doing all of that speaking because. It is extremely interesting to hear what people leading the space are doing, but it's almost more interesting to hear what people who are like just learning about it are interested Super in. Super cool. Well said. And so I guess maybe to wrap up, I'd love to, you know, help people understand where they can find you, all that good stuff. So um, before yeah. we link all those things, are there any upcoming projects or collaborations you're excited about? that you can share with us or just mm. any I have my first magazine feature coming Ooh. out soon in Fast Company magazine in print about a um I'll say a startup in the space that failed. Okay. Um 
Failure stories, always a lot to learn about failure stories. So that's exciting. Um, but Expedite uh, evolves fast. And so I, you can find it at expedite.news. I am constantly inspired by the news and by new ideas and what people are talking about. I usually write it the day before I send it wow. um, because I want to make sure that it's extremely relevant to everything that's happening. Um, and so that is the best way to keep up with me, expedite.news. I put everything in there. Um, but yeah, you can look out for some other other fun stuff. I love that. So uh, for, that feature is a big one. No, no, yeah. it's awesome. So expedite.news, you can find some great content <laughs> yeah. there. Sign up to the newsletter. And then are you pretty active on other social? Like do you want to plug your, I don't know, Instagram, LinkedIn, or pretty much expedite.news is the place to go? Mm. You tell me. Oh, man. You know, I was real active on Twitter for a real long time, and I'm still mourning the loss of that network. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I'm married to an early Twitter uh, invite. Um, mm-hmm. So my handle was KH. It still wow, is. Wow, that's a good handle. So um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I I use Instagram. I, my Instagram handle is my first name, Kristen. Okay. K-R-I-S-T-E-N. That be- I got because I was a tech reporter. Wait, it's just Kristen? Instagram launch today. Wow. You got good handles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that one. Yeah, that was uh, that was no nepotism. That was that was just right place, okay. right time. You know, first day sign up. Uh, That's really I cool. was covering the tech industry as a reporter. That's yeah. really cool. Um, uh, so you can find me there if you like pictures of uh, food and kids. I'm a parent um uh, and uh, yeah i am i am pretty active on linkedin and that's where i'm posting most of my professional okay my professional all of my professional stuff including the freelance and including amazing so we'll we'll make sure to link all that so for people listening we'll post this on you know spotify on youtube on on apple so we'll put the links in there instagram linkedin and obviously expedite.news so Kristen, with that said thank you so much for joining the whisking it all podcast your insight is super super valuable so thank you for your time today Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Beautiful. Feel free to check out wist.ai for more resources and schedule a demo with one of our product specialists to see if it's a fit for you.